This is Hot and Dry, a podcast about climate change in New Mexico and what the hell we should do about it. I'm Colin Happy. And I'm Kelly Carswell, and together we are two people who live in New Mexico and care about climate change. This season, we've looked at the big climate issues facing our state and how our new governor and the legislature are trying to address them. This is a really interesting and important moment for New Mexico. On the one hand, we're in the midst of an absolutely giant oil and gas boom. As a result, the state is sitting on a billion dollar budget surplus. And at the same time, climate change is hitting our state hard. As people here and around the globe burn fossil fuels to produce energy, temperatures are going up. And in New Mexico, hotter means drier. And one snowy winter isn't going to save us. It's late March now, and the legislative session has just wrapped up. And so today we're going to look at what they accomplished on climate and at what's next. To answer these questions, we sat down with Ben Shelton. Um, My name is Ben Shelton. I'm the political and legislative director for Conservation Voters New Mexico. So we are a state league that is independent, but also affiliated with a national group called League of Conservation Voters. We work in the policy arena. I'm a full-time lobbyist during the legislative session, which just concluded. And then during election season, we slide over and become a political organization as well and run um, a couple of different PACs and do member mobilization Ben has been lobbying the New Mexico legislature on environmental issues for a few years now. 2016, the short legislative session was my first one. So 16, 17, 18, and this was this was my fourth one. He told us that past sessions could feel like a slog. Pre- previous sessions have sort of felt a, like a little draggy. There's a point at which you're kind of just pull, like falling out of bed and not wanting to go. And But this year, it wasn't like that. In previous years, you know, you'd maybe have a weekend meeting where you, a day where you, you know, come in on a Saturday and there's a committee or the floor session. You get maybe one or two of those towards the end of the session. We met every single Saturday this year, starting from week two. And it did, I mean, it just didn't feel like two months. It felt like the blink of an eye. So it sounds like Ben and his fellow lobbyists put all that energy to good use and uh, had a pretty good year for environmental legislation. Yeah. So as we've been talking about on this podcast for the past six weeks or so, there were a ton of environmental bills introduced this session. There was so little time really comparatively spent trying to stop things or play defense. And that's not because, you know, we were ignoring defense. It's because there just wasn't as much there to do. So much of their time and energy was occupied by pushing things forward, which is, which is awesome. It's a good problem to have. So there was just like a ton of activity going on. And this is following eight years where there really wasn't a lot of activity on environmental stuff. And they came out with some big wins on climate and also some notable losses. Why do you think the, the switch flipped in 2018? Yeah, so it seemed like there were a couple main factors. The biggest one was the new governor. Uh, we also, in 2018, New Mexicans elected a new House of Representatives. And there were kind of a bunch of new progressives with an interest in environmental issues that came into the freshman class. There was also just a lot of enthusiasm, energy, and preparation among citizens and advocates outside of government who had been sort of laying the groundwork for the things that came up in the session for quite a long time. So yeah, the energy and environmental issues were pretty central to this first session from the governor and definitely part of her campaign. Yeah, they were a pretty central part of the governor's agenda. And one really interesting thing that Ben told us is that this wasn't an accident. 
environmentalists have been working to produce this outcome for a couple years. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a calculated risk that we took to go out as early as we did. We endorsed for our 2018 election in 2017. And we endorsed a candidate whose brand at that time was not really strongly associated with conservation or renewable energy or climate policy. Um, and our sort of theory was this is somebody who is um, wants to be really progressive and is out to make some waves. And, you know, if we can kind of get her up to speed on this issue set, which has been a little bit, again, outside of her home range, she definitely is somebody who's health and education focused. Uh, if we can kind of get her educated enough to speed on this stuff such that she feels comfortable with it, we thought that she could really, really lead on it because of the way that she had um, been sort of bold leading on, you know, issues around health and, and the things that were more of home, home game issues for her. Um, and it was a risk. I mean, you know, state leagues around the country have, tri- have tried that and it has missed occasionally. It doesn't always pay out. So now I think they feel like that risk, you know, paid off. It, it I, I can't overstate how much it did for us for her yeah risk paid off for sure exhibit number one is the energy transition a yeah so this is sort of the big environmental bill of the session and we talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago so just as a refresher this is the bill that laid out a blueprint for shutting down the san juan generating station which is a big coal plant outside of farmington and it also put in place this really ambitious renewable portfolio standard that would move the electric utilities in our state to 100% carbon-free energy by 2045. And something Ben told us that was super interesting was that goal of total decarbonization of the electric grid was actually something environmentalists didn't expect to achieve. Um, and certainly didn't expect to achieve even under this governor so quickly. We, we got to a place pretty quickly in this legislative session where the Enviro sort of climate community was coming to her and saying, we think that here are some, you know, some goals that we should be looking to achieve in terms of a renewable portfolio standard. And here's some things that we think we ought to try to do. And she actually wound up kind of counter offering to us and pushing us further and saying, well, I think I, we can actually get even further. I think we can go beyond what you're what you think that we should do and what you're asking me for and so she wound up pushing us you know we we kind of came into the session looking to get a renewable portfolio standard in the 50 to 80 percent range and trying to get the next 10 years on course and she said well let's not just do the next 10 let's do the next 25 and let's not do 50 to 80 let's do 100 percent so that's what we just passed we passed a bill that gets us to 100 percent zero carbon emitting electricity by 2045, which is both higher than higher than we were asking for and earlier in terms of the timeline than we were trying to really to really get to. So, you know, we we had this whole sort of strategic plan that spanned the first and second terms of the governor where we're thinking, you know, maybe by the end of the second term, we can really push to totally decarbonize our electric grid. And now we've done that in the first year. And so we have to figure out what to do next. I mean, I just think like just I just personally think that it's so refreshing to have leadership that is compared to what we've got going on at you know some of the federal levels and even you know the past eight years. It's it's certainly a fresh a fresh a fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I feel like it's actually worth stopping and kind of like rehashing why the Energy Transition Act is such a big deal um, because it is quite a big deal. So 
I think when we think about climate change, it's this really big global problem and sort of no city or state can solve it on its own. Um, on the other hand, you know, we all need to do something or we're definitely not going to solve the problem. But I think sort of bigger than that, it's worth like reflecting on the context that this is happening in. That is that climate action is essentially totally stalled out at the federal level, right? Yeah. God, did you just hear the thing? <laughs> there was some story today where like the uh, new head of the EPA was, you know, acknowledging that climate change was a problem, but saying like, well, it's, it's not a problem that we're going to have to worry about for another 50 to 75 years. So yeah, I did see that. No big deal. Yeah. And I'm thinking um, like people in Nebraska are sort of like sticking their head out of their muddy basement and like, um, like I'm drowning. I disagree, <laughs> sir. I mean, this is kind of a new talking point. I haven't really heard this before. Like, cli sure, climate change is real, but it's not a problem we have to deal with for 50 years. Maybe that's going to become a new political position. I don't know. But like that is just. It's factually incorrect. It's the new, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but let me tell you about the policy that I'm making up. Yeah. So, so like, that is definitely not true. Climate change is a real problem in the here and now, and it's going to get worse. Um, but anyway, back to the point. So, like, the point is, is that uh, we really cannot depend on the federal government right now to take steps to meaningfully address this problem. So that means that the challenge basically shifts to state and local governments and the courts. Like those are the places where action on climate is really going to happen or also not right now. And I think this Energy Transition Act is one sign of New Mexico, our state, at least beginning to answer that call. And these kind of moves at the state level, I think, have always been important because it's kind of true in the United States in general that the states often have to lead before the federal government takes big steps on any issues. Um, but it's even more important now. Well, New Mexico just set the bar. I mean, and they set the bar high with this amp super ambitious, most ambitious decarbonization goals in the country, starting with California's, you know, we're out leading the pack. And I think we've seen how important leadership is coming from the governor this year, pushing people to do more, to take advantage of the progressive momentum that we have. And I think that, you know, other states are going to take notice and they're going to say, if New Mexico can do it, we can do it. Maybe we can even do it better. And that is good for the planet and that's good for the country. Yeah. And, you know, another thing we touched on when we talked about the Energy Transition Act a couple of weeks ago was that it has these kind of Green New Deal-ish themes. And we see that in a couple parts of this bill, right? So there's the part of it that deals with shutting down the coal plant. And there's provisions in there that would direct money to the local community for worker retraining and general economic development. Um, then there's also these parts of the bill that deal with apprenticeships and renewable energy. And the idea behind all of that being that these solutions to our environmental problems should also address economics and should be designed to create good jobs for New Mexicans. Yeah. And I think when you, when you hear people talk about making policy, they'll often say like, tell me the problem that you're trying to solve. Right. And that often leads to an oversimplification of A, the problems and B, the solutions. Right. And this thing didn't really do that. I mean, it addressed a lot of problems all at once. And it was a strategic document and a strategic law to address, you know, 
the cascading effects of closing a coal plant, you know, both the benefits and the negative sort of impacts to that local community, and it wrapped it up in one. And so when you talk about implementing the like certain aspects of the Green New Deal, again, like New Mexico is potentially is New Mexico is well suited to be a reference for how do we do this? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important for our state to be thinking about how we sort of like address these multiple problems at once. And it's also like important for the whole country that, you know, places start to try things to address these problems because they're going to become much more common. And already this stuff is happening in a lot of other places. I um, was reading a story recently about Appalachia and how the declines in the coal industry there were affecting communities. And this was a place where, like, there was really no plan in place for that change mm -hmm. and no sort of, like, economic backstop. And, it, you know, it was pretty dire. Like, <laughs> they were not able to fund pretty basic services like yeah. law enforcement in towns and emergency response, you know, just sort of like the very basic functions of yeah, very basic functions of government. Um, and, you know, I think like it's going to be really important to watch how this is actually implemented, how all that money that is supposed to be spent on developing a new economy in San Juan County, how that goes. Like, I, I don't know that there is you know, that there are that many, like, examples to look to of how to do that well. Right. Um, but, you know, we're at a point where we need to start figuring it out. But I think similar to how you were describing, you know, climate change is happening right now, um, and we're seeing its effects all over the place. The same thing is true with the, with the sort of social impacts of climate change and the social impacts of the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energies. We're already seeing those impacts. And I think that the discussion around this bill and the discussion around the Green New Deal are all giving us a vocabulary to discuss the solutions. You know, and I think that that's really important to like lay out a narrative on how you actually get this stuff done. Yeah. And I think also give us real world practice in doing it and seeing how it goes, which I think is still like for me, at least with the San Juan County stuff, I think this is kind of an open question, you know, like, okay, so we have some money now, what are we going to do? And yeah. is it going to work? Yeah. How's it going to work out for the community? Okay, so the Energy Transition Act was really like the headline climate news from this session. It's a really big deal. It sets New Mexico up to be a leader in renewable energy policy in the nation. And now we're going to see, have to see how it goes. So there were some other climate bills that passed, and we asked Ben to highlight a couple of those. Sure. So we got an extension and expansion of the Efficient Use of Energy Act. Or if you're acronymizing everything, E-U-E-A, 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 ah. Um, this is a, a law that requires utilities to spend an, a certain amount of money and achieve certain goals related to just efficiency. As much as I spend time talking about how cheap renewables are and how the you know the cheapest resource out there, they are still not cheaper. Nothing is cheaper and has not been for years than just efficiency. The cheapest and cleanest kilowatt is the one you never need, right? So getting efficiency standards continuing to, to grow is, is a really big deal. One big criticism from the 2019 session is that we really didn't come up with very good acronyms. 
Iua is not a good acronym. <laughs> WADA is close, but I had to make that one up. I shouldn't have to do this work. That should be done by some. There should be interns and staffers that do this. Come on, New Mexico. <laughs> and then Ben told us about the electric vehicle infrastructure, also known as EVI, which sounds like something you get from a bus. God damn it. Got another EVI from the fucking bus. <laughs> we also um, saw a bill that passed that will bit make it a lot easier and smoother for utilities to build out um, charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. And this is another thing we talked about early on in the podcast with Amy Miller and Noah Long. So this is kind of one of the steps that the state can take to start trying to bring carbon emissions from transportation, which is like cars and trucks and buses, bringing those down. And they are now nationwide the most significant source one of the elephants in the room in the climate conversation is just getting emissions from the transportation sector down because they're massive. And electric vehicles is kind of the, looking like right now one of the best tools we've got to do that You know, over the next 20 years. So getting the infrastructure and getting the groundwork laid for that is going to be key, and we got a big part of that done this year. Also, Colin, you'll be glad to know that the bill with your favorite acronym was successful. Water passed. I'm I'm just really happy for Laura. She was so excited about the Water Data Act, and um, yeah, Laura Pascas is excited about all the data on water. She's going to get to <laughs> dig into and figure out how to write about now. So the Water Data Act is maybe not like explicitly a climate bill, but it's something that will be important as we figure out how to address climate change. And what that does is it's essentially aimed at kind of standardizing and improving water data collection in the state. So we know like some basic stuff about what's going on with our water. All right. This session wasn't all puppy dogs and lipstick. What, uh, what didn't pass? It never is. So, yeah, there was a ton of stuff that was proposed this session. And probably not surprisingly, it did not all get through. We got, we got legal weed, right? I don't think so. Oh, dang. <laughs> Shit. That, that could be a climate change bill, too, though, right? Help the citizenry cope with dope. <laughs> we had some close misses on other bills. We just missed on getting community solar done. The rooftop solar tax credits were on the floor of the house, and we just didn't have enough time to get them across the finish line this year. But does smoking weed contribute to climate change? No, it's a... I mean, because all you're doing... I mean, from what I've read on the Internet in my research, all you're doing is smoking the little tiny flowers, right? So the rest uh -huh. of it is just like, it's carbon sequestration. Okay, okay. <laughs> Back to the subject matter at hand. Okay, so yeah, so there used to be a state tax credit for solar. So if you put solar panels on your house, you got 10% of the cost of those panels back as a tax credit, which I benefited from, and it was great. And people are trying to bring it back, and we're not successful. You have solar on your house? Yeah. Wow. Good yeah. for you. Yeah, it's awesome. That's nice. You should get it. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and there, folks, is the need for the tax credit. Um, also, a community solar bill that had the backing of pretty much the entire environmental community also failed, and we'll probably see that come back again. And the idea of that is to allow communities to be able to build solar gardens so people don't have to 
each individually install solar on their roofs. You can kind of like go in with your whole neighborhood or something like that and build a collective little solar plant. I'm really, I'm super excited about that one. I, I'm, I think that's the one out of this list that I'm most disappointed that didn't get passed. So, you know, there's still, there's still work to do, but we definitely, I would say, move the ball forward in a pretty hefty way. So in one of our first episodes, I remember hearing something about a tax credit for electric vehicles. What happened with that one? That also failed. So maybe we'll see that come up again. I'm not sure, but no tax credit for your Volt, Chevy Volt, or whatever. <laughs> Chevy Volt, the official electric vehicle of Definitely Hot and no, Dry Podcast. Definitely no tax credit for your Tesla. You weren't going to get that Enjoy. anyway. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Less tax allowed... credits for rich people buying electric cars Yeah, was my, how this one was designed anyway. My wife said I'm not allowed to buy a Tesla because she doesn't yeah. like Elon Musk. Oh, and fair we enough. And we can't afford one. He is kind of a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and they're $60,000. And they're pretty expensive. So one sort of wonky, nerdy bill that would have been perfect for us to cover on this podcast, but it just kind of got started too late, was the Climate Resilience for New Mexico Act. And this would have required state agencies to make sustainability, energy efficiency, and climate resiliency plans. And unfortunately, it died in the in the Senate Finance Committee after passing the House. But I think that, you know, the silver lining in this is that um, Representative Melanie Stansberry really kind of showed her um, political skills in the first session. Yeah, and she's a new freshman member of the House that a number of people have highlighted to us as someone who's really stepping up to lead on these issues and specifically came into office wanting to work on these issues. Um, she is also one of the legislators behind the Water Data Act, which was co-sponsored by one of her Republican colleagues in the House from Magdalena. Um, so she's someone to keep an eye on if you're interested in these issues. Um, all right. So should we talk about what's next? We've been through one session with the new governor, got a bunch of things done, didn't get some stuff done. What happens now? Yeah, what so essentially what is the ETA and the ETA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good one. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so we talked to Ben a little bit about uh what to watch for with the Energy Transition Act. You know, it's this big, really complicated bill. People kept talking about how it was eighty nine pages long. There's a lot of technical stuff well, going on. By the way, eighty nine pages is not that long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like just come on. <laughs> My thesis was was like a hundred pages long, and I wrote it. It was like it's full of typos and all this other stuff, but it's not that long. Eighty nine. I, I guess it's long if you only have like sixty days to get a complex piece of legislation <laughs> through a legislature. But anyway, everyone right. seemed to think it was sure. long. So sure. by the standards of legislation in New Mexico, it was long and complex. Okay. So the question was kind of like, what happens now? Then the next thing that we would look for is for PNM in specific to bring forward a abandonment order and financing abandonment filing and financing order for this outstanding value in San Juan generating station, um, which kind of has all the criteria that we lay out in the statute. Um, and kind of that's, that'll be the formal expression of like, we're walking away from this thing in 2022. So that's going to start this whole process of figuring out all the additional details for how the San Juan generating station gets shut down. And then Ben told us the other big thing to look for is utilities starting to come up with plans 
to bring a bunch of new renewable energy online, which they're going to have to do to comply with this new renewable portfolio standard that was a big part of the Energy Transition Act. The utilities have to basically go to the PRC and prove how they're going to meet the demand for electricity in their service area. And they do that by these big forward-looking sort of like 20-year-long integrated resource plans that they have to file every so often at the PRC. So we should, we'll be looking for a lot of renewables in their next integrated resource plan because they've got some really, really big targets to hit with the renewable portfolio standard. Um, so that's, that's the next thing that we'll look for is ambitious IRPs and then followed shortly thereafter by a lot of build-out for renewable energy infrastructure in, the New Mex- in New Mexico, really in the next five, six years. So I think in general, you know, a kind of important takeaway here is that, you know, it was important that these various pieces of legislation on climate passed. And now the question is really like, how did they get implemented? As we talked about a few episodes ago, you know, we've had a renewable portfolio standard in the past, and it was implemented with some pretty big holes that resulted in it being ineffective. I mean, passing bills is really only one part of the one part of the equation. A lot of it is going to come down to the execution. So passing an RPS is great, but how are you going to hold utilities accountable for actually meeting it? Uh, we also asked Ben about some other stuff that he's working on. You know, he started out mentioning that the environmental community had achieved something in the first year that it thought it might be shooting for in the last year of the governor's second term, (laughs) should she be elected again. Yeah. So I wanted to know, you know, sort of given that, like, what were they thinking they were going to do now? What were kind of the next big frontiers of climate policy that they wanted to work on in New Mexico or the next big climate fights? So he told us that one of the big things they'll be working on now is methane, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, you can go hear more about that in our methane episode. And then he also brought up something that I had given really zero thought to in terms of how it affected New Mexico, and that was the Volkswagen settlement. The New, New Mexico gets a gets many millions of dollars as a result of the Volkswagen settlement. Volkswagen spent years defrauding uh, regulators around their uh, mileage, their efficiency, and their and their emissions. Um, they were sp- basically programmed their vehicles to cheat emissions tests, and got sued and got caught and sued and had to pay a lot of money. And some of the money that's coming coming to New Mexico. Uh, is going to get, you know, it's supposed to get used for figuring out how to reduce emissions from uh, sulfoxides. Uh, and one of the best ways to do that, in our opinion, is going to be taking your school bus fleet and changing it from diesel, which emits a lot of sulfur, you know, a lot of sulfoxides, and this stuff is very, very hard on the lungs. It's terrible. Really don't want to breathe it. Um, to electric buses. This is a big deal because the people who are around buses the most are little kids. And a lot of these buses have like kind of bus barns or idling stations or warm-up stations that are in communities that are already have terrible air quality, like say the South Valley of Albuquerque has a lot of air quality problems. And so if you could change your school bus fleet for Albuquerque public schools from diesel buses to electric buses, you would really take a big bite out of that problem. So, you know, we'll be pushing to see if we can get this government to start th- this governor to start that conversation. Do you think that the electric, like when they electrify school buses, are they still going to have those green seats in them? Like the vinyl ones that when yeah. you're wearing shorts yeah. in the summer, you just like stick to them and it kind of hurts when you get up. Yeah. And they smell weird. They, they, they all have the same smell. 
And if you've ever sat in them as an adult now, they're like so uncomfortable. You can't believe you traveled like hours in them to go to soccer games and crap. Yeah. Yeah. They have to. Hopefully they'll be nicer. I mean, like it has to. I mean, that's like you can't make a school bus that's not yellow. How will the kids know hardship in the future? Yeah. Yeah. So when we started this podcast, you know, when we started the idea for this podcast, Kelly said, you know, let's let's just do something for the session and, and essentially just track the session. And I thought, oh, my God, that's going to take forever. And now here we are done. And it feels like it's flown by. Yeah. So this brings us to the question of what's next for the podcast. And the answer is we don't know. I've got a lot of su- I've got a lot of suggestions. <laughs> People are really interested. Yeah, we have a lot of ideas. Um, so the session's over, and this brings us to the end of what we're planning to do for this little test run pilot season. So we're going to be taking some time now to figure out where we want to take it and what we want to do next and how we can do it. And if you have thoughts on that, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay in touch and know when we release season two, sign up for our newsletter and then that way you'll hear it first. And you can do that by going to hotdry.org. That's the website. As always, you can email us at hotdrypodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at hotdrypod. I'm really thinking forests and fire for the next season. Shockingly, (laughs) Colin wants to talk about forests and fire. I want to talk about fire. I want to talk about people who like fire. (laughs) I want to talk about how all the reservoirs are empty and what the hell? Oh, man. It's scary. That's depressing. Yeah, we need to figure out what to do about that. So thanks so much for listening. We've had a lot of fun and hope you have learned things. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.